You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Hello, dear listener. Mel Butcher here, and we want to thank you so much for joining us today in the Career That Soars community for our very first episode of the Lead to Soar podcast. Michelle Redfern and Susan Colantuno envision that through discussions and interviews with women leaders, we can bring you additional ways to get advice and hone your leadership skills, especially as you don your mantle of leadership and work to make your business strategic and financial acumen shine like the scepter you're carrying. As this is the inaugural episode, we thought no better way to kick off than for Michelle to interview Susan. Of course, I have to mention, if you haven't already listened to Susan's TED Talk, please do so before listening to this interview. It will give you all the context you need going into this fantastic discussion. You can find Susan's TED Talk by doing an internet search for Susan TED Talk, the career advice you probably didn't get. Susan Colantuno has had a long and successful career both in corporate America and as an entrepreneur. So without further ado, we bring you Michelle Redfern and Susan Colantuno for episode one of the Lead to Soar podcast. Today, Susan, I am so honored to have you with me, my friend, my business partner, uh, inspiration and mentor. And with the Lead to Soar podcast, what we're trying to do and what we will do is talk to many, many women leaders around the world. And the first thing that we ask them is about their Lead to Soar story. And I figure that with, uh, given that you are the guru and the founder and the inspiration for everything that we're doing on A Career That Soars and Lead to Soar, what better way to start off our session together than ask you to introduce yourself and tell us your version of, well, your, your career that soared and still is soaring, but also your Lead to Soar story. What is that story, Susan? Oh, thank you, Michelle. I am honored to be with you and launching our podcast, thanks to you and to Mel. Um, so most of you who are listening know me as one of the founders of A Career That Sorts. And what the path that brought me here is so multifaceted that I'm going to try to chunk it into pieces. So when I think about leading to soar, to soar in my life, to soar in my career. I think about the first, the early years from birth to about uh, college graduation, so 22. And those years, I, I chunked them together because they, there were leadership experiences there that took two characteristics. Sometimes I was tapped for leadership positions. So at the age of 10, a neighbor tapped me to be a co-counselor in a little camp that she started. And in, well, I'll save a work story for later. 
Uh, but other times I reached for leadership opportunities. So seeking leadership on the, the field hockey team that I participated in in high school and in college. I'm seeking leadership on my, the sorority that, that I was a member of. So being tapped on the shoulder because people saw leadership potential in me and then reaching for leadership. So those were two interesting dynamics that people don't always think about. Were you tapped or did you reach? So those were the, yeah. I hear you want to ask a question. Yeah, well, let's just, you've really, you've made me reflect because in all of the times that I've heard people talk about their leadership story, and in, including myself, I have rarely heard and I certainly have rarely talked about leadership in those early years. And I suppose that, you know, given that, that we want women uh, and all people to benefit from this podcast, that reflective piece. So when, when, did you, when did you think, I want to reflect on leadership? I want to reflect on even the early years in my life where leadership played a role. How did that become part of the way you tell your lead to source story? Well, I was the firstborn of seven kids. So I, I kind of identified with being in the lead from the age of 16 months when my brother was born, which, oh, by the way, as an aside, also introduced me to gender dynamics because in an Italian-American family, of course, the firstborn son is like a god. So the concept of leadership, the study of leadership was absolutely not part of my childhood experiences. It was more when I was studying leadership as an adult to help women understand how to be effective leaders that I looked back and saw that sometimes I was tapped for leadership positions. You know, I kind of wrote them all down. When was I in a leadership position? And sometimes I reached for them. So it was much later that I thought about that. And the landscape has changed so much, at least in the US, there are incredible experiences that help girls now learn about leadership and hone their leadership skills. But I had none of that. Yeah. So apologies for interrupting your, um, your, your chunking down, but I, I, you know, in terms of taking lessons and actionable insights, which we talk mm. about a lot in a career that soars, stopping to reflect on when did leadership start to play a part in my life? And I like particularly the fact that you're reflecting on when did I reach versus when was I tapped? So, so please, please continue with the, the chunking. Thanks, Susan. Yeah, I think so part of what's actionable about reaching and versus tapping is if, if we're someone who has mostly been tapped, it's to give ourselves permission to reach. So, excellent, excellent yeah. advice. Yeah. So then from college graduation, for about 20 years, I think of that as another chunk because I started my corporate career right out of college. That lasted only about seven years. And then from then on, I was a solopreneur in that 20 year chunk. And again, when I started my corporate career, I in a way reached because when I was interviewing, I asked the two managers who interviewed me in two different companies, 
where can a woman go in this company? And one of the managers who had the more professional technical job open looked out at his at the big workspace in front of him and said, well, I really can't tell you. The other manager who had a secretarial position open, now I'm a college grad, you know, great grades, graduated with honors, blah, blah, blah. He said, well, over there is Joan Hurwitz and she's a director and over there is Betty Cole and she's a supervisor. And we just brought Annette Civitolo in from the field to become a supervisor. And he went through this litany of women. I could see them on the floor. So I took the secretarial job. So in a way it was reaching for possibility. It wasn't reaching for a leadership position, but I like to tell it this way. I, I don't think Dave would, but well, I hope he wouldn't, but I tell it that I was such a horrible secretary that he had to find something else for me to do. And within about, <laughs> within about three months, he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Susan, I want you to be the claim department project lead on a system to pay long-term disability claims. Now, I had never touched a computer. I had tried to take a programming course and dropped out after about two classes because my brain just didn't work that way. And I never, I didn't, had no idea what a long-term disability claim was, but Dave said, so, so of course I said in the humble uh, woman way, Dave, are you sure? And Dave said, you can do it. So that was my first experience in the workplace of a champion. We talk about different engagement strategies. And Dave was definitely, he definitely mostly used the uh, champion strategy. And I did it and it was very successful. And from there, I kept reaching for positions of increased responsibility. Isn't that interesting? I, so in today, we would say that Dave is a terrific ally advocate and but sponsor. So he was sponsoring you. But I wonder, I wonder if Dave realized how deliberate, well, I wonder if he was deliberate in saying what I want to do is bring Susan into this environment and expose her to leadership, expose her to the possibilities, and certainly expose her to role models, given that he pointed out all of those other women and the fact that the organization had a system of bringing those women in and promoting them. Do you think it was deliberate, as in was there a strategy in the organisation and with the leaders, or was that he was simply very, very good at developing female talent? I think he was extremely good at developing talent in general, yeah. and unusually so for women. I think he deliberately wanted me to get out of being his secretary. <laughs> I tell a okay, I tell a funny story about this. I don't know how many other countries there's a brand of vacuum cleaner called Bissell. B-I-S-S-E-L-L. I must admit I haven't heard it uh, from, from an Australian perspective, but oh. given that I have a I have a very tenuous relationship with vacuum cleaners, that's probably no surprise. <laughs> Growing up in a house with seven kids, I had a pretty intimate relationship with vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and so Bissell was a well-known brand. And I can remember Dave one time dictating a memo to John Bazell. So of course, I spelled John's name B-I-S-S-E-L-L, when in fact it was spelled B-U-Z-Z-E-L-L. -L. And so, you know, it went downhill from there. 
<laughs> but, but, but what's notable, going back to your question about Dave, what's notable is he saw something in me. He just, he didn't fire me. He didn't, he didn't give me a, you know, go sit in the corner and do nothing job. He gave me what was a really important job because the company was just beginning to automate its practices and it's the way it paid claims and the medical claim paying project was it was extremely difficult and missed deadlines and always over budget and so we brought this project in on time and on budget so it was a great success and it was my first opportunity to cut my leadership teeth in a corporate setting and i had some great lessons from that about engaging my teammates because here I was a 22 year old recent college grad no experience with technology leading a team of people in the IT department and so finding a way to establish credibility and tap their knowledge and wisdom so that we could collectively work together was was a great experience the downside was I learned the importance of engaging stakeholders in a very painful way. So hmm. I, I took the design of what we were doing, the user interface out to the field and got hammered. And I can remember coming back and telling Dave almost in tears that it was horrible. So, that, so then I learned, okay, it's not just your colleagues when you're working on a change project. It's also got to be stakeholders. Yeah, the, uh, the, there's a, a web or an ecosystem of people who, it's interesting when you think about uh, those kind of things in organisations, those who really have decision rights, but those who have influencing rights and learning that lesson. And, I, and again, you've made me reflect on, you know, I, I've just had a couple of twitches thinking about when I've learned and it's been a bit painful. So, which, um, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so Dave was, Dave was champion of, of your second chunk of, of your career and. The, the and, start of it. Yeah. So okay. I, I really, I, I chunk like from college grad and, and my first corporate job to which was seven years and then an additional approximately 13 years when I was a, a solopreneur, when I was consulting to organizations. So primarily then I was in the blessed position of working with many different kinds of organizations, many different kinds of managers and executives. Some were who were incredible leaders, some who were not, so it gave me a lot of practical experience observing leadership kind of as a, as a student of leadership. Mm -hmm. And I did have some projects in there where I led teams of, you know, million dollar plus consulting projects. But primarily I was solopreneur or working with one or two other people. You're listening to Lead to Soar. Find information on upcoming events and learn how to join the network at leadtosoar.com.
Seren. Yeah, so then. Seren. <laughs> so then. Um, I decided that it was time in my life to figure out what I really wanted to do uh, with the rest of my life. So I took a chapter out of Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, and I mm -hmm. created an overlapping circle diagram of what I was really good at, what I was passionate about, and what I could be paid to do. And in yep. the overlap of all three circles was the idea of leading women. So I said, okay, I want to spend the rest of my career helping women create careers that soar in organizations. And uh -huh. so yeah, that's and, where it started. <laughs> that's where it started. And I had, I had been doing some subcontracting work with women who were doing women's leadership programs. And I realized that basically the content of those programs was what I had been teaching since the mid 70s, general management skills, giving and receiving feedback, active listening, team building, plus a discussion about work-life balance. And I said, mm -hmm. okay, it's been almost 30 years. Women have been learning these things for all that time. We have made some strides, but we are nowhere near where we should be within the amount of time. And that's when I started to try to figure out what it was that women weren't being told. Mm -hmm. I want to um, talk about that, what we haven't been told in a moment, but when you think about leadership, when we talk about leadership mm -hmm. and we talk about leaders at every level and leadership manifests mm -hmm. itself at every level, at that point in your career as a solopreneur, mm -hmm. did you still consider yourself a leader and why? And, and the reason, yeah. I, let me give you some context around that. Yeah. I, I shouldn't assume, but I hear many stories from women who, when I talk about leadership, they say, oh, look, I'm not a leader. I don't have staff. I don't have people reporting to me or I run my own business. So I'm not a leader. And I like to debunk that myth because of the fact that leadership isn't dependent on people, the number of people you have reporting to you. So, but at that point, what was your mindset around leadership, given that you were a solopreneur running your own organization or your own business? How did you reconcile that, you know, that, that internal, that internal, I am a leader dialogue? So it's interesting. I had never thought about, I have never thought about how I identified those years I would have to say, because I did not yet have my definition of leadership, that I did not think of myself as a leader. I thought of myself as a consultant. Right. Uh, except unless I was managing one of those teams for big projects. In hindsight, of course, I would see that differently, but not at the time. Mm. And okay. also, well, the other thing was that that was primarily the years that I was raising my son and so opportunities for thought leadership, et cetera, I just didn't do. I worked and yeah. I raised my son. And that was pretty much my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it, it's interesting because I, 
we we want women to put on their mantle of leadership, but that, mm-hmm. that very first, that internal identity shift, that mindset shift of I am a leader is such an important one. And I agree with you. There are so many external forces and external pieces of information. Let's face it, as a woman, we get lots of advice. Some of it useful, a lot of it, not so much. And, and I agree, and it hasn't changed for decades. But at what point do women say, I am a leader? And yeah. it's interesting when you, when I was listening to you talk about that first part of your, of your life, and I considered when I had done participated in an executive leadership program and I was uh, asked to reflect on my leadership journey. And I, the same as you, I did reflect on, you know, the fact that I have always been considered a leader. Like you, I am the eldest child. So I think there's just (laughs) something about birth birth order that indicates perhaps some behaviours, but I have never not considered myself a leader, which is interesting. Mm. But I see that inter- that real struggle with that that identity struggle with women, and I really am. I think it's useful for women to hear about our stories about how we how we did assume um, the position of as a leader, how I oh. how we did internalise that. So, and and particularly when perhaps in modern, well, in contemporary times, we're looking at flatter organisations, different styles of organisations, matrix style management, where perhaps the traditional hierarchical styles of of organisations won't necessarily be in place. I mean, they certainly will in some instances, but I don't want an organisational chart to dictate if you're a leader or not, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. So uh, along this same time when I was trying to figure out what did I want to do with the rest of my career, I developed the definition of leadership, which I didn't have in those consulting years. So the definition is, because I couldn't find one anywhere in the literature that I felt would be helpful to women. So I developed this definition, which many of our career that soars members have read, heard, seen. Yeah, yeah, that leadership is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others. Hello, dear listeners. I want to give you another quick break moment and review the definition that Susan just said. So this is written by Susan. It's from her book, No Ceiling, No Walls. The definition of leadership is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others. And so if I look back at those solopreneur years, I was using the best talent I had at hand in the moment, so using the greatness in me, to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes, which in in the case of my work, was helping organizations make transformative change to be successful by engaging the greatness in others. And I did that entirely through working with other people. None of it fell on my shoulders as a consultant. So in hindsight, absolutely, I was a leader. Although I had, in most cases, no direct reports, no direct authority, but what I was doing meets the definition. So to your yeah, point. I, yes. I think it's a really, really important point because it's, I see that as a derailer. 
you know, a mindset that can derail women from assuming that greatness in themselves. So yeah. thank you for my another di you know, divergent path off our, um, oh, off our discussion. Really brilliant. Brilliant. I <laughs> loved it. I love more conversation mm. than, than preaching, although I love to preach as well. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> if you know, as we're, you in, know we're, in, we're in good company with each other. We're in good company with each other. Oh my God. So, we had the, my goal of helping women create careers that soar, my definition of leadership, my intention to form a business. So this is different than being a solopreneur. My mm -hmm. goal when I launched Leading Women was to create a business that would have, in, in a sense, market value so that it could be sold or absorbed, you know, acquired or whatever, a very different thing than being a solopreneur. And, well, I don't know, do you want me to talk about the missing 33%? I, I, well, I think that's a really, uh, you know, as, as, you, as you started, um, you've done the research, you've developed the three-part leadership definition, mm -hmm. you've examined the advice and, and the training programs and leadership development experiences that, that women have participated in for decades and realised that there's this missing component. You know, what is it that we're not being told? And we often talk about, and in fact, I'm, a, I'm about to do a, a, a terrific session today with one of my big clients around what is it, if, if, we're, if women are so good, because we're told we're great, Mm -hmm. What is it that we're not being told? How did you come up with that missing 33%? So I had that question in the back of my head. I wasn't finding any answers to the question, what is it that women are not being told? Until I read a Business Week article. It was a cover story uh, back in 2000. And the title was, As Leaders... Women rule. New studies find that female managers outshine their male counterparts on almost every measure. So my first reaction was, yippee! <laughs> the business press finally realizes how good we are. But then I took a step back and I said, what the heck is that almost about? And is mm. there something about almost every measure that is what we aren't being told? Is that what's keeping us back? So... I went in and got my hands on as many of the studies that were reviewed for this article as I could. I chunked the skills and experiences where men were rated as outperforming women and women were rated as outperforming men into the three-part definition. And that's when I discovered the missing 33%. That women, were, women and men were rated pretty much equal in terms of using the greatness in us. Women were rated as far outperforming men in the part of the definition that has to do with engaging the greatness in others, which is why they could make the proclamation as leaders women rule because so many of the studies overweight the engaging others piece. And I could do a whole lecture on that. But men were rated as outperforming women on every single factor that had to do with business, strategic, and financial acumen. And I said, aha, 
Mm -hmm. That's what we aren't being told. The importance of that is what we aren't being told. It doesn't mean we don't have it. It doesn't mean we can't have it, but we aren't being told that in the importance of that in equal measure. And when I look back on my career, nobody told me that. Nobody mm. in my whole career, any of my mentors, any of my clients, any of my bosses, none of them. So. It's, it's fascinating. And I, I want to, with your indulgence, tell the oh. story of when you and I first met. <laughs> so like you, I decided, had been in, in the corporate world for a long, long time and had become increasingly frustrated with my own career progression. Even though I was an executive, I, mm. I was still looking up and just going, gee whiz, what is it going to take? You know, I'm, I'm talented, I'm credentialed, I'm, I'm actually really good at growing organisations. Mm. I was frustrated with gender inequity, a whole bunch of other stuff. And all of that coalesced into that and doing it. I had done my executive in MBA, done some stuff around entrepreneurship and innovation and realised after all this time that I was particularly innovative and entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Um, so that combined with my growing frustration, my outrage at inequity led me to forming my organisation. And as part of that, I travelled to America. And I met you mm-hmm. to spend some time with you and with your terrific f- facilitators, uh, Linda and Usha. And we're mm-hmm. in New Jersey. And I, I, I remember sitting, observing a class with, with one of the major telco providers in the, well, in the world. And I was sitting at the back with you. And, and I turned to you and I said, where were you 25 years ago <laughs> when I yep. needed you? Because this is what I needed. And upon, but on, on further, and the missing 33% was what I was referring to because that first mm-hmm. part of our programs says, you know, what is leadership and the missing 33%. But I then I, I reflected later on and I thought, you know what, I actually did have people who told me about the missing 33%, albeit somewhat obliquely mm-hmm. uh, in my early 20s. Like you, I came into leadership very young. I was a 22-year-old bank supervisor. And I remember one of my pieces of career advice being, Michelle, if you're going to make a decision in your business, in this part of the business, which is yours, you've got to, you've got to make it like it is your own money, like you are cutting the check, mm-hmm. which of course is about saying, being very commercial and being, you know, are you making decisions based on the financial drivers and the financial goals of the organisation? And of course, what did I do with that information? I probably discarded it. I didn't really listen to it because I was conditioned with all of the other stuff. But so it's kind of a, you know, a roundabout way of saying, I like you, I don't know that I had enough of that mentoring, guidance, advice, coaching, whatever around business strategic and financial acumen. But even when I did get it, I had been so conditioned that, well, perhaps not by my parents who were very progressive, but certainly by society that women kind of didn't need to worry about that stuff. Mm. So very frustrating. But um, as I always say, better late than never, right? Yes. And it was probably also reinforced most large organizations because their talent management systems are rooted in research that was done in the late seventies. They overemphasize the 
part of leadership, parts of leadership that have to do with engaging others and personal greatness. Yep. There yep. really is yep. a whole body of work that, we, and maybe we should talk about that sometime. Yeah. So even if you were lucky to have gotten that guidance, but it was washed over by, I'm sure, messaging that said on your performance evals and on your assessments that it's all about how you engage others, active listening, et cetera, et cetera. So, and this is true. I think we, I think the research I did showed, I think we looked at two dozen companies, large, large organizations. We looked at their uh, performance evaluations and again, slotted the factors into the three-part definition of leadership. And on average, only 25% of the factors had to do with business strategy or finance. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So it's very easy to discount that messaging. Yeah, yeah. And the missing 33%, for me personally, I, I have a somewhat of a different journey. I was uh, the, the breadwinner. I was ambitious, aspirational. I had great, a great sponsor, very strong sponsor when I was around 30 years old, who, who really catapulted me into making some decisions, some very, very good decisions. But it was very, very difficult. I found it very difficult in the late, well, the late 80s and particularly through the 90s, having young children, being very aspirational and ambitious and managing the expectations that women, that of women. And, you know, that the, the I wanted to lead. I've always wanted to lead. I, and so like you, I, I have had times when I've been tapped and then other times mm -hmm. when I've actively reached out. But during that period of time, the messaging that I received from... Society, family, friends, colleagues around why were my priorities skew with? As in, surely you'd be happier at home Ugh. raising your child. And mm. it's, it's that combined with a lack of overt development in the things that help you lead, think and lead like a CEO. Mm. I can say I, I lost 10 years of progress uh, because of that. So what would be your advice now for women in that, I suppose, the early to mid stages of their career mm -hmm. around the missing 33%, but also that messaging, the messaging that women are still getting around the trade-offs, having it all. And I know we're going to talk to one of our fabulous members in a career that saw us soon around <laughs> trade-offs and, and having really good conversations. But there might be women listening who are saying, yeah, yeah, that's great about, you know, business strategic and financial acumen, but hell, I've got, I've got two children to care for, a household to run. And, you know, frankly, the guilt is killing me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can relate to that. Um, so my, oh, there's so many elements there is. <laughs> that I want to give here. So one is ditch the guilt. <laughs> Just yep. flat out, uh, there's plenty of research now that shows that the children of women who work outside of the home grow up to be extremely well-adjusted. Sons tend to be more emotionally intelligent. Daughters tend to be more career-oriented. Uh, very, you know, th There's just tons of research about that. So 
do your best. Uh, they, they don't know what they're missing, even if you do. So that's mm. addressing the guilt. When it comes to the missing 33%, actually spending some time honing that will help you be more efficient in everything else you do. When I understood the concept of the missing 33%, and when I understood, when I developed more my business strategic and financial acumen, which I had to do as an entrepreneur, it's still not great by the way, but it's so much better. What I realized was that I was more efficient because I was focusing my attention on the things that really mattered. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so sometimes I'd let myself get distracted by the things that were fun, (laughs) but mostly I used the definition every and the business strategic and financial acumen every day in this way at the start Mm -hmm. of every day i would ask myself okay what are the key outcomes that i have to move forward today and so i get clear about that who do i have to be working with to move these outcomes ahead and what is it about what i'm good at that i need to tap to be effective in doing that And so my agenda would be laid out every day, driven by the business outcomes that I was responsible for advancing. And that works for entrepreneurs and it works for uh, women in leadership positions in organizations, no matter what level you are, as an individual contributor, as a supervisor, as a manager, a senior manager, or an executive. Yeah, and I I say, I, I don't like the B word, busy. Um, I, and I think it is, again, it is a word that is overused and over indexed, uh, with a very, very strong gender lens. So I, I very much encourage women to dial down using busy, gee, I'm busy, gee, I'm flat out. I have back to back meetings, but a way of doing that, because they may well be busy, but is, is again, so what is it that how, how can you have the most impact in the next one hour, one day? one week, one month, Mm -hmm. and getting really clear about the outcomes that you are paid to, whether it's by yourself or by your organisation, to deliver, to drive the organisation forward is a great way of prioritising. So thank you, Susan. You've, You've helped me get very, very clear about, well, you know, other people call them boundaries, priority setting, ranking and rating, whatever it may be, but what are you paid to deliver? What outcomes are you paid to deliver and how do you prioritise against that? Mm-hmm. So that's a nice segue for me to ask you, we talk about putting on the mantle of leadership mm-hmm. and you alluded to the fact that sometimes you're tapped for leadership or alluded, you talked about you're tapped for leadership or you reach for leadership. And mm-hmm. then we talked about that internal identity shift. I am a leader. What is your advice to, if you were to sum it up succinctly to any woman right now about how they can put on their mantle of leadership every day? We have an activity that sometimes we do in our workshops. It builds on what you said a minute ago, which is to have women introduce themselves by saying, hi, I'm Susan Colantuno. Of course, they use their own name. 
hi, I'm Susan Colantuno, and I am a leader. Yep. So, yeah, so self-identification really matters. Post-its on the mirror, self-talk affirmations in the morning is a piece of it. The other piece is what I talked about before. I think with all humility, I think the def using the definition of leadership to scope out what has to be done every day is a brilliant way to move into your day as a leader. And then at the end of the day, say, how did I do being a leader today? How did I do moving outcomes forward? How did I do engaging the right people? And how did I do bringing what I'm good at to the, the tasks at hand? So those yeah. are my two pieces about putting on the mantle of leadership. And I'm so pleased that you're running our course, which we call Your Mantle of Leadership, because it gives women who take the course the opportunity to really embrace their identity as a leader and to get incredibly valuable tools for being successful in, in bringing to life in their own way the definition of leadership. Yeah, thank you, Susan. And I had a joyous experience last week. We have every week, we have a boast, borrow and brainstorm session, uh, your, your brainchild. And <laughs> last week, every single woman, all 12 women on the call had a boast. Now, we know that women sometimes, uh, in, in many cases, are reluctant to self-promote. But these women were self-promoting authentically and gracefully. They were boasting about their achievements in the last week and linking it to the, the three-part leadership definition. And my heart was <laughs> singing. Ah. And it, in fact, if, because we record the sessions. Oh, I'm, good. I'm, I would love I'm, to watch it. I'm cheering and raising <laughs> and fist pumping. And oh, this is just so terrific because it is, this is literally part of that advice that you're giving women, isn't it? Uh, be proud of the things that you are achieving and be able to authentically and gracefully self-promote. Yeah. Um, we are kind of close to time. And what I'm going to do is give a, I'm, I'm going to ask for a promise from you that we have another session talking about enablers and derailers for women's careers, because there are things that we want women to look out for. Mm -hmm. Where I wanted to go with that though, very briefly was before I get your one piece of advice for, for mm -hmm. women who want to lead to SOAR, but I have a very strong view that we mustn't fix women, that we must fix systems that prevent women from advancing. But that doesn't mean that women should not be continually uh, taking accountability to develop and evolve and enhance and hone their skills. Yeah. So in, in that context, you know, what, what is your view around fixing women versus fixing the system? But what, what do women need to do more of and less of? And I know that's really general because oh. women aren't a homogenous group. So we will talk about that later. But what is your advice? You know, what, are, what are a couple of things that women need to be on the lookout for in terms of derailers and enablers for their, for their careers? So I look at the fixing women and fixing systems as both and. 
yep. because you said it in a different way. We have to be accountable for our development. Organizations are always fixing employees, whether we're women or men. It's just that the fixing of women sometimes has bled over to, gee, you should really act more like a man. That is yep. totally ridiculous and inappropriate. But it's always brilliant to be accountable for our own development and to look for opportunities to be more effective in our workplaces, while at the same time hoping and praying, if anyone prays, to that the, the companies are getting intentional about addressing the systems that create barriers for women. So in that context, one of the pieces of advice that I would give is think of yourself as not only a leader, but as a businesswoman, not a woman in business. Mm -hmm. Because as a businesswoman, you will be able to be taken seriously because to be a businesswoman, it requires that you're developing, honing, and demonstrating your business strategic and financial acumen. I like it. Yeah. And interestingly, so I'm, I'm now having a moment of, hmm, Michelle, I'm going to stop using a particular hashtag on social media, which is women in business, and I'm going to start using businesswoman. Oh, <laughs> sorry. So thank you. No, no, no. This is, but this is, no, 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 no. But, but I mean, I use lots of hashtags, but, but yeah. language is really important. And you know, hello, 55 years old, never too old to learn. And I'll no. learn from you yeah. every time we speak, my friend. So um, that is, and it's really, really important. And, but again, it, I think I know I'm laboring the point about that internal identity shift, but gee whiz, that's a part of it, isn't it? I am yeah. a businesswoman. Yep. I am a leader. That's terrific. Yeah. All right. So final, final piece of advice. If you were, and I, I'm shamelessly stealing, borrowing, <laughs> I should say, borrowing from Julia Gillard, Australia's 27th and Prime Minister and only female. Only woman, yep. One of my heroes. And, and in mm -hmm. fact, she's become more and more of a hero as her work is having so much impact for women globally. She has yeah. a terrific podcast called A Podcast of One's Own. And she asks her guests a question, if you were in charge of the world. So someone made, let me say, someone made Susan in charge of the world today. <laughs> and she was able to tell everyone, but in particular women, Mm -hmm. uh, what they needed to do right now to have a career that soars and to lead to soar, what would that be? I would say that there are many definitions of success or soaring. There are many paths to success and soaring. So as you think about your leadership journey towards success, remember that there's no one way and to find your own path. <laughs> How wonderful. Well, my friend, it has been, as always, illuminating, inspirational, informative, and fun to have a oh, chat okay. with you. Likewise. And the fact, that, the fact that there's, well, I hope going to be a whole bunch of people, and particularly women who want a career that's always listening to this, uh, makes it even more fun because, like you, you have a mission to, to close 
the leadership gender gap across the world and enable women to have a career that's yours. I'm so, so thankful that the universe put us together. I'm so thankful that we are able to achieve our joint mission together. And I very, very much look forward to having more discussions to help the women in our communities and beyond have a career that's yours. Thanks, Susan. Thank you, Michelle. It's been an absolute delight. And heaven only knows how we came together, but it was one of the best things that's happened in my career. So thank you. Well, that's awesome. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar. Thank you.